Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, mask mandates are in place for 23 Mississippi counties, but who's enforcing them? We talk to local authorities and what school districts are doing to prepare for the resumption of classes in the midst of a pandemic. Then, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, how the governing body of high school athletics and activities is adapting their fall seasons. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Residents in nearly 30% of Mississippi counties are required to wear masks in public, as recently ordered by the governor. The executive order signed by Governor Tate Reeves this week indicates that all law enforcement may enforce the mask requirement and limitation on social gatherings. The governor tightened restrictions in 23 out of the state's 82 counties where coronavirus cases are spiking. But how are county sheriffs and local police departments handling the new mandate? Don Gamage, police chief of Olive Branch, tells MPB's Kobe Vance the order, as written, isn't easy to impose. This is something that's very difficult for law enforcement to to actually uh, enforce. Uh, by, by all means, the Olive Branch Police Department, if we get calls about someone not wearing a mask, and officers will respond and verbally ask the uh, people to actually uh, comply. Uh, But uh, it's something that's very difficult to enforce, uh, but we will abide by the order and try uh, to the best of our ability uh, to enforce it. And so are there any punishments tied to this executive order that you all have been able to see or any kind of thing that will give this uh, executive order weight? I have not seen anything. Uh, as far as fines, when it comes to uh, this executive order, uh, like I said, hopefully people will comply. The only thing that I can think of, if a business owner asks someone to wear a mask and ask them to leave their business, uh, they will have to leave it or they'll be trespassing. But as far as any fines or anything to enforce this order, I have not seen that as of now. And so whenever y'all respond to something, uh, what does it typically look like? Um, how are officers handling the situation? They're handling, like I said, we're going up. And, uh, uh, you know, we are very community-oriented uh, police department, community relations. So uh, we go out and we talk to different uh, citizens or the people that may not be wearing a mask. So, and this is only verbally. And I ask them to comply. Uh, the officers have done that. And we have not received any kind of 
uh, negativity at all when we come up and ask people to to comply. So they're they're complying uh, pretty much in all the branch. And so have you all seen more people been wearing masks because of the order? Yes, yes, we have seen an increase of people wearing masks because of the order. Don Gamage is the police chief of Olive Branch. In more rural, less populated counties, resources and personnel are often limited. That's the case for Sheriff Paul Mullins of Simpson County. He tells our Ashley Norwood the difficulty of enforcing the mandate means working with businesses to educate residents. It would be pretty much impossible for a county of my size to enforce it. I mean, when I have three officers working at any given time and we're answering calls of service and I mean, we, we don't have time to go around and count people and see if they have their mask on. We just typically don't have the personnel to do that. So then, uh, Sheriff, when you when you see, for example, a large gathering of people, um, just in your daily commute, uh, what is the first thing you would do at that point? Uh, I'm not going to do anything. So you I mean, wouldn't? Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not, I see a lot of people gathered up. I'm not going to pull in there to make sure they all have their mask on because I don't have to. I mean, if, if we do encounter someone and we have a confrontation, I mean, I think that would just escalate into something that, that don't need to be carried that far. I mean, you get into a, you get into punching someone's buttons that don't need to be punched. Gotcha. That's my feeling on it. I mean, my jail full right now. I definitely don't need to have a confrontation over someone not wearing their mask when it could have been simplified by them just staying at home. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to make anyone wear a mask. Gotcha. So so basically, um, you know, you're going to work with businesses. Uh, you want people to be educated so they'll make the choice to wear the mask. Yeah, I, I would gotcha. think now that we're under the governor's mandate, I think businesses under under common sense practice should put a sign up that, uh, you know, if, 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 if that's the mandate and there's going to be a, a large gang of people in there, they need to have their mask on. And it says in the order, if you cannot safely keep a six-foot social distance, then that's when you need your mask. I mean, it says it in the order, so you don't have to have a mask if you can stay away from people. Paul Mullins is the sheriff of Simpson County. In nearby Forest County, Sheriff Charlie Sims agrees education is the best remedy, but says citations can be issued if there's blatant defiance. It's going to be more focused on educating people. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, folks with the fire service, uh, who are going to be helping uh, with our deputies to go around to, to businesses and uh, and all to kind of educate them and let them know what the new mandate is, uh, why it's important, and uh, ask them you know to to help us out with that. Right. So, what happens if you see someone out not wearing a mask, or if you see a large gathering uh, of people? What are you telling your officers, your deputies, to do in that situation? Well, like I say, it's you know our our, our first attempts are to let them know what the new mandate is, um, and and why it's in place and why it's important. Um, it's you know we're we're not going to be uh, harassing people or really bearing down on them or anything like that. Uh, we want to educate them, uh, and again, it's it's you know. Those that just blatantly defy the order and are uh, are making it difficult uh, on others and for others, uh, you know, that's when um, I guess what people would call enforcement, you know, would would come into play. Uh, whether that's you know uh, 
a written warning, uh, you know, uh, or, or even a post-arrest release uh, in defiance of the executive order. Forest County Sheriff Charlie Sims. In the capital city, the Jackson Police Department is concerned with large gatherings that violate the order. Sam Brown of JPD says officers are equipped to respond to those violations. Once they receive some information on uh, large gatherings of, of such sort, what they'll do is they'll uh, go to the area, and if there are gatherings of people and um, for whatever reasons, if they don't have masks, uh, the officers uh, may have some masks that they could distribute or they can make the um, citizens or the people that are responsible for the gathering aware of the mandate and make sure that everybody is on the same page. So then this so then would you call this um, a priority? Because I understand, you know, law enforcement, um, I guess they 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 can or or they can't really, you know, enforce this. But in terms of this department, um, it is a priority to be on the watch for that. Um, It's actually more of a priority than um, a shots fired call. Um, You know, if we get a call for for for. Um, large gatherings, then that will, you know, that will, that call will get answered. Uh, as far as going out to uh, look for mass gatherings, that's not a, a, a thing on the on the radar. Uh, we're looking for pretty much just doing regular patrol. Again, if that's just so happen to come across that, then they'll they'll engage it at that particular time. But um, we just want to make sure that the citizens adhere to the mandate. Mississippi recorded a new single-day high in COVID-19 cases, topping 1,600 reported cases yesterday. Mississippi began the month of July with 27,900 cases. In 21 days, that total has risen to 45,524. The mandate for the 23 counties expires Monday, August 3rd. Coming up, what school districts are doing to prepare for the resumption of classes in the midst of a pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In the next days and weeks, public schools in Mississippi will begin reopening for the fall. MPB's Desiree Frazier takes a look at how several school districts plan to educate students while keeping everyone involved safe in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Corinth School District Superintendent Lee Childress has some 40 years of experience in the field of education. This is starting my 20th year as a superintendent, and I never believed I would be facing what we're facing with the reopening of school this year. Childress, along with more than 140 school districts across Mississippi, are confronting reopening schools as coronavirus cases continue to spread. He says schools in Corinth begin next Monday, July 27th. Parents can opt for in-person classes at the elementary, middle, and high school or virtual learning. 
The superintendent discusses social distancing. Particularly in the elementary grades, we can come close to doing the six-foot social distancing with our class sizes. We will be able to social distance desk in our upper grades. However, you know, we might not quite get to the six feet, but we're going to get as close as we can. Childress says they're supplying students with at least two masks, along with teachers, who will also receive face shields. Among the challenges for schools holding traditional classes is the cost of hand sanitizer, keeping facilities disinfected, and helping with personal protective equipment. Nathan Oakley, the chief academic officer for the State Department of Education, says schools can apply for some of the $169 million in CARES Act relief money sent to MDE. That approval process is is underway now, and once those approvals have been made, districts can start drawing those funds. I would share that the funding request can go back as far as mid-March to the date of that emergency declaration. That's when President Trump issued the National Emergency Declaration. Superintendent Jason Harris with the Columbia School District says they've received $600,000 to help with masks, sanitizing, and related needs for 1,700 students, plus teachers and staff. He says their survey found 70% of parents want their children to return to in-person classes. They start school August 4th with traditional classes and virtual learning at their four schools. Harris says students need normalcy. One of the things that we find is that our schools provide a more consistent and safer environment than what many of our students experience on a day-to-day basis. So hopefully maybe getting our students back to school will hopefully alleviate some of that because you're going to be in a safer, um, cleaner environment. Harris says precautions include screening children's temperatures as they get off buses and dropped off by their parents, limiting class transitions, and putting sanitizing stations throughout the district. He's focused on helping students understand this is a new normal that has to be taken seriously. Harris says if one student or teacher becomes infected, it could mean shutting down the school. But he's hoping that doesn't happen. We have small groups. So, you know, our classes, they won't. There's not a lot of transition. There's not a lot of exposure. So if one student was to contract it, you know, it, we would follow the CDC and health guidelines into into how they were have exposed other people. So in hopes, you know, we would not have to close an entire school. We're actually encouraging families who can to educate their children virtually because that allows for more opportunities for us to distance. Eric Green is superintendent of the second largest school district in Mississippi, which is Jackson Public Schools. He oversees more than 55 facilities. Green says their survey found more parents want virtual learning, and he supports that. Hines County has had more than 3,600 cases of COVID-19 and is under a mandatory mask order. Green says they will be offering both in-person classes and virtual learning when school starts August 10th. He says if there is an outbreak, they will default to virtual learning. That could be printed packets. It could be our dedicated YouTube channel where we've already uploaded read-alouds and and mini lessons and that sort of thing. It could be on our Comcast cable channel where folks can tune in and, and watch some lessons there. All school districts must submit their reopening plans to their local school boards by July 31st. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, how the governing body of high school athletics and activities is adapting their fall seasons. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. What causes dry eyes? Yeah, dry eyes, uh, normally it's a it's a loss of lubrication. So your eyes produce those tears, and if they're not producing as much of that, the cells that are, that are uh, you know, in charge of producing that lubricant on the eyes, that's usually what causes it. Now, if you're outside a lot, the sunlight can actually damage the eyes and cause that. There's, you know, saline eye drops, and then there's some other things that actually stimulate those cells to help pr- produce some of that lubricant. Uh, Restasis is one of the a name of one of those. There's a couple of different things that you can do for that. Not having air blowing into your eye. You know, a lot of people, if they're driving a lot, they'll have the air conditioner on and their eyes will be watering. Uh, all that can overcome your, your eye's ability to uh, to lubricate itself. But it is common as you get older. It's just one of those things, you know, the body sort of wears out from time to time in different areas. And uh, those cells that normally hydrate the eye is one, are one of those areas. So in some rare cases, it can be associated with other systemic diseases like autoimmune diseases. Uh, so if you have, say, dry eyes and dry mouth at the same time, maybe some inflammatory joint uh, uh, findings on exam. Doctor may want to go a little bit further with that, but um, generally speaking, that's just sort of the wear and tear on the eyes over time. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. Join me on Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast about the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. And, of course, all of MPB's other great podcasts are there, too. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Coming August 1st to your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As the beginning of the fall semester nears, questions loom about what high school and college athletics will look like in the world of COVID. Pro sports around the globe have resumed their seasons in bubbles, with teams quarantined and stands empty. Some collegiate conferences, like the SWAC, home to Jackson State, Alcorn State, and Mississippi Valley State, have suspended their fall sports altogether. For the Mississippi High School Activities Association, the governing body of high school athletics, the situation situation remains fluid. Officials are delaying the start of the fall seasons by two weeks, but currently plan on having sports in the fall. Don Hinton is the executive director of the MHSAA. He explains the association's process. We've been following you know, all of, all of the, the, the data, the, all that information now for like everybody else for the last three, three or four months. So uh, in the end, uh, the decision was made, you know, schools were going back to school. The decision was made. We have uh, sports of all risk. We have uh, some sports that are considered low risk in, a, in the fall, like cross country, like swimming, 
uh, and then volleyball, and then we have uh, a higher risk sport of football. And so the decision was made to delay every sport um, in the fall uh, for two weeks. That that way we'll start two weeks later. Hopefully that gives our schools time to be and uh, get back into school and our students, our coaches, our administrators to uh, to um, see how that goes and then uh, and then to start sports. So we delayed it for two weeks. What kind of reaction have you gotten from people on the decision? Has it been positive, negative, neutral? Just just like before the decision was made, I'm going to say nine of every ten email was very, uh, please let us play, uh, are telling us a lot about their child and the need and how important sports were in their lives and activities in the band and the cheerleading and the dance and all those kinds of things. And as soon as that announcement was made, nine out of every ten, again, uh, of correspondence that we had, communication we had with uh, any outside parties like parents, administrators, and so forth was positive. Uh, every week we'll have our our weekly um, uh, sports medicine conference on Friday, and we'll continue to monitor. Again, we listen to the governor's office every day and the CDC, and also we'll continue in the health department, and we'll continue to monitor the situation. If there's a need to delay a little further, we'll delay a little further. Okay. Any other actions to be taken will do it. Because, as you said, football is probably the highest risk sport because it's one-on-one contact. Will division play continue as possible? I ask because, let's say, one player on one team tests positive, and he's not only affecting his teammates but a team that's just been played. Is regular division play going on, and how would that disrupt that? Yeah, our, our division play, fortunately, in the sport of football, our, the last games on our school schedules are division games. So, fortunately for us, just like delaying for two weeks, cancels a couple of games early on, those are non-division games. One question to be answered as we get closer would be the quarantining uh, a player, just like you just missed the quarantine of whether you quarantine the, whole, the player or you quarantine the whole team. And we're, we're shooting for, you know, the, the quarantine – the player, uh, they and, and, and they can trace those that he's been around, or you know those type things, and then um, take the temperature and, and symptom if there are any symptoms and all later on, and well, someone else, and of course they would handle that. But that's a question that we'll answer as far as uh, what happens if there is a, a player on a team uh, that is is affected by the by the virus. The other question, another question, would be the that at ball games is when we get to that point in time as far as capacity, seating, attendance, uh, those kinds of things, and uh, wearing masks. And we'll have guidance for our schools as we get closer to that time so that everybody's, uh, again, on the same uh, playing field and as equity in what we're doing. Will the players' temperatures be taken before game, before practice and game? Yeah, that, again, is our individual schools have been doing that for um, – for the summer programs, you remember we've been we've been since June. They've been coming together as teams and squads and and, and lifting weights and, and doing those kinds of things. And so um, th- those will again be either requirements or or, re- or guidelines. We get closer to the school starting and competition. We'll we'll give our uh, schools those updated guidelines. And through the summer scrimmages or practices or whatever you want to call them, have. Have any of the players tested positive? Have there been any self-quarantining? 
Yeah, we've heard from around the state. Uh, we would hear of, of a school that had one player. We'd hear a school had two players, and basically the school made the decision as to how they wanted to handle that in the summertime and uh, whether they wanted to basically quarantine their the whole team. And some school districts actually quarantined the individual player, and then they uh, monitored those, uh, those the other players for a period of time. I want to ask you finally, Don, who has the ultimate say in whether uh, a season is suspended or certain teams drop out? Would it be the school or is it the Mississippi High School Activities Association? Yeah, well, Mississippi High School Activities Association would have the authority as far as canceling the any sports season through, throughout this whole next coming year uh, for, for our, to our schools. And But an individual school certainly – one decides or two or ten decide that they're not, you know, they're not going to participate in a sport or in sports and activities as a whole because we're an activities association as well. Uh, and then certainly they're not, they would be allowed to do so and not be penalized. Hopefully after this school year, we will be back to our, our regular rules and guidelines and policy. Hopefully. Yes, exactly. Don Hinton is the executive director for the Mississippi High School Activities Association. Don, thank you so much. Thank you much. Uh, much. My pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.